Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you the best of the business. This podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Make sure to go to the website to subscribe to the newsletter in order to stay up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast. A few episodes ago, Jordan Gross and Zirian Salai joined us to talk about self-management and self-organization. Part of that, in my experience, is that organizations often skip out on the discussion what that really means, resulting in everyone running into a different direction. Today we're going to talk about how to start with self-management in an organization and what it takes. Stephanie Ackerman, one of my favorite self-management experts in this world. How are you doing? Doing pretty well today. Um, you know, it's life is still hard, but today's a pretty good day and riding the flow. What made this day so great? Well, um, today was so great because I got enough sleep. I went for a run in the morning. The weather is gorgeous. And I've actually gotten to do really fun work, really fulfilling work. I've, this is actually my second uh, call recording um, some videos and podcasts of the day. So it's a good day. And are they all about self-management? Um, related topic, but not just that. Um, kind of broader agility uh, and scrum coaching. But yeah, that always comes into play. It's it's such an important aspect of it. And it's often you know, like it's hard. Like it's, it's not like one of those things where like, do this, like, here's the thing, here's the word, here's what it means. Do it. It doesn't work that way. Um, so it, it almost always comes up whenever we're talking about agility, whenever we're talking about te- scrum or just teamwork in general, I think it comes up. Speaking of where the, the word self-management came to play in the latest update of the scrum guide, when it got changed in 2020, before it was called self-organization, what's the difference? Yeah. So I may have an unpopular opinion on this. Um, I don't really think for our purposes of what we're trying to achieve or what most teams and organizations that like I have worked with or I'm aware of and and heard from other colleagues about what they struggle with. I don't necessarily think, um, the difference in the word matters because we're not here to be, you know, experts on theory. Um, I do know that there are theories and models out there that do have a differentiation between those things. Um, But I generally find that it's not like the thing that's going to make a difference. However, um, I, you know, I think every time they change the scrum guide, because that, that change was made in the 2020 scrum, scrum guide update, I do think it's every time they change the scrum guide, it's, it's very intentional and it's usually never, or I'll say it's usually not about changing scrum itself. It's more about clarifying. It's about trying to create a better clarification um, of what things mean in, in terms of removing misunderstandings and kind of trying to combat some of the anti-patterns that we see often showing up. And so I think there was an intention around if we change this word, we think that people are going to maybe like take it more seriously or like interpret it in a more intended, the way it was actually intended 
around teams being self-organizing, self-managing. I, you know, I'm, I am very clear on scrum guide language when I am teaching professional scrum courses. And I try to be mindful of staying in alignment with the scrum guide when I'm writing and things like that. Um, but, uh, in practice, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say like, don't use that word self-organization. It's wrong. Um, you know, and then the other piece of that, is self-management actually means a whole nother thing um, that I think is also super important um, in the work that I do in terms of coaching um, individuals and teams. Uh, The word self-management in the context of like emotional intelligence. And, you know, so those are, that's a very different thing. Um, And because I use self-management in that context a lot, um, I just think, you know, for me, like I'm not overly concerned about, you know, the scrum guide word being self-management now. I hope that the change does help uh, people take it a little more seriously, right? Like when you change something, it also makes people take notice. And then through that discovery of like, oh, I wonder why they changed it to self-management. I hope that they do more work to understand like the intention of it. You mentioned the emotional intelligence. Um, linked to self-management mm-hmm. what do you feel the link is because from my experience as soon as you mention anything about emotions on a work floor especially in a very <laughs> traditional work floor mm-hmm. there are going to be some hard and tough discussions yeah absolutely um, and so like when I say emotional intelligence like that's very much like an individual thing but individuals are part of teams <laughs> and emotional intelligence is a skill set that helps in- individuals interact in the world, right? And so, of course, that's essential for teamwork. Um, so with emotional intelligence, like the, the simple way of breaking that down, and this is kind of how I talk about it um, in my, my online course, Coaching Skills for Impact, I do actually talk about emotional intelligence. And I have, a, mo- I have a, a whole video on this that introduces it as, you know, we have, you know, being aware of ourselves, then we have managing ourselves. Like, so once I'm aware of, you know, what am I feeling right now? What are the thoughts? Like, where's that coming from? What are my thought patterns around that? Like all of that, like the self-awareness piece, then I can, I need to self-manage. Like, so if I feel like, you know, I go into a state of like, I feel attacked. I feel like this person isn't respecting me. Like, and I get in a very like closed defensive state, you know, like how do I move myself into a place of having this conversation in a way that it can be productive and where we're not just going to basically like start yelling at each other, or, you know, it might not even be as big as yelling at each other, but I might say something that um, doesn't create an opening for dialogue or, you know, that, that I'll regret later um, or just isn't helpful. So self-management is like that self-awareness and then self-management. And that's on the self side. And with emotional intelligence, you always have like the other side, Right. And so like empathy would be like awareness of others and how they're feeling and their experience and, and then your actual like social skills. And there's many, many things that go into that, but that's a broad way of saying it, um, or your relationship skills, whatever you want to say, then help you, um, actually navigate and, and start to be like, Oh, like help me understand that better. And, you know, like having that conversation. So self-management is part of like that, um, that construct of emotional intelligence and how I teach it as well. So like, that's the, that's very different than what is meant in the scrum guide when it talks about self-managing teams. Um, and so, you know, the, the other, the other thing that can sometimes get a little wonky is when people hear that word self-management, 
in the context of, you know, a team and the work they're doing, then sometimes there's an interpretation of, does that mean that managers don't exist anymore? And it's like, no, and that's never been the intention. Um, That is not the intention of changing the word to self-management in the Scrum Guide either. Getting rid of that stigma that management needs to go or there is no management in Scrum or no manager role seems to be there from the beginning. Why is that still there? Um, you know, I, I don't know that I encounter it as much anymore. And I think that's because there is so much more of a body of work out there, easily accessible, you know, in terms of articles, um, but, you know, like free stuff on the internet that you can read and watch, but also, you know, in more and more people are educating themselves by taking like a professional scrum training um, and on, or reading books um, that are actually like explaining, you know, that that's not the intention um, and, or, and, or are talking about what is the role of management, you know, like they're not part of the scrum team. Um, but you know what, like scrum teams don't exist in a, in a bubble. They, you know, like they exist in an organization and scrum isn't a framework for telling you how to manage your entire organization. Um, it's, you know, it's not an organizational structure. Uh, so like, that's kind of how I, like, that's my quick and easy explanation to people around, like, that's not what Scrum is about. And just because there isn't a role called that, uh, doesn't mean it doesn't need to happen. Right. So that's typically where like I shift, uh, the conversation towards, you know, what does it mean for manager? You know, like there's many different roles, man, or I should say many different responsibilities that managers could take on um, in terms of management. And sometimes that is, is very uh, focused on career development of the people that report to them. There's maybe a level of administrative things they do, right? Like, you know, in terms of, you know, running the organization and what are these people, what are these people that report to me need, both in terms of like doing the things that move things forward for them as employees, and then also um, developing them um, and, and knowing, you know, where do you want to go in your career and how can I help you get there? Like, I hope that's like what managers are focusing on in like their direct relationships with their employees um, or contractors. And then there's this other aspect of management where they are likely very involved and or have influence in influencing organizational change, right? And, you know, just to be more specific around that, it's, you know, the structures, the processes, the policies, right? And so like managers, like it, you know, it would be really hard for the scrum team, you know, to like try to focus on that as well. Uh, but you have the scrum master who is kind of that person who is taking that bigger focus on not just the scrum team, but also the organization. And so part of that is, is trying to bring transparency to what are the things outside of the scrum team that are holding the scrum team back um, or, you know, maybe completely uh, blocking them, but it could also just be like things that make their job harder or things that disrupt or, you know, like many, many things. And so the scrum master, I often see is, is in my past roles as well, as in my experience, is you're partnering um, with managers to help them understand what is happening, help them notice trends, right? So like, 
ideally you want scrum masters talking to each other in a team. You want managers talking to managers and starting to notice like, hey, like we are noticing this. We have some data, right? We have transparency to this thing that we know is slowing us down from delivering value. And, you know, my responsibility is to deliver value at an organizational level too, right? Like thinking in the manager's role, I, I, there's some level of, you know, Scrum isn't defining this, but in my mind, you're trying to, you know, kind of help the organization move forward and achieve goals while also using the mechanism of Scrum, Scrum teams, uh, you know, cultivating Scrum teams uh, to actually be able to deliver value. But there is the wider organization. And so, you know, there, there's a place I, you know, now does every company need managers? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know every company. Um, maybe some startups don't, um, you know, maybe companies that are leveraging, you know, kind of a very flat organization and truly are, you know, in that position where they've given much, much more, um, I would say managing type of responsibilities, although that word is very vague. Hope you know what I mean. Um, and just in like allowing people to have more more say in some of those things, you know, like I I don't I don't think everybody's going to need managers. But in the experience I've had, um, managers can play a very helpful role. Um, you know, but that's the key though, like helpful role. But I certainly don't um, subscribe to the idea that like we don't need managers ever, or, you know, managers get in the way. It's like, no, like, come on now. Um, it's not that, it's not that simple. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Um, tying these topics back to your earlier remark of self-awareness. Um, I feel scrum masters need to be very much aware of themselves and have a high level of mindfulness when it comes to, mm-hmm. to their own behavior, but also to their own emotions. Um, but I do notice that this is something that's not really being taught in, either in, in university or it's not fully incorporated in the way that we are brought up, at least not in this part of the world. I don't know about other cultures, other mm-hmm. specific parts of, uh, parts of the world, um, but definitely not in mine. Well, it would have been a great addition and it would be, um, I think a lot of problems would have been not there. If we yeah. were, we'd be, would be a lot more self-aware, how can yeah. people start with any level of self-awareness? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, so first of all, before I go into that, I just want to say like what you just said, like, yes. And, you know, to me, I just want to name that, like what we're talking about is uh, personal leadership. It is where personal leadership starts. And, um, you know, like I'm, like when I say leadership, I, I am not talking about like power and authority. You know, I'm not, you might have power, you might have a role that gives you certain authority and whatnot, but we're all leaders and, you know, fundamentally, um, emotional intelligence, you know, then the self-awareness being a huge aspect of that is a fundamental skill of being a human. So I, I would love if this was something that we all learned, you know, in school at a very early age, and it was something that was embedded into our culture. And I think there are shifts happening there. I do think I've noticed. Um, but as you're saying, it's, it's nowhere near, uh, like where, where it could be. And so I, as an adult have had to like, kind of learn this lesson myself often the hard, you know, the hard way of like it holding me back or having experiences that were not super pleasant, but 
I can see were super important to my own growth. And so I went on that journey myself to learn. Um, what was the point, I if that, I can, yeah. can ask you, what was the point in mm-hmm. your life where you were like, I really need to have a really good hard conversation with myself? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question. Let me think about that for a second. I honestly don't think there was one moment. It was like this gradual building of like, no, like things that happen in life and you like sort of reflect on it later. And then you have just like new insights and new knowledge. And I think that one big shift for me was when I transitioned my career from, um, you know, kind of that traditional plan-driven, predictive way of working. And I was a project manager. I was an IT project manager. When I transitioned my career to Scrum and then moved into a Scrum Master role, I think that was probably the biggest moment of like where I was like, oh, I need I need to do some work because of like really understanding. I was very lucky in my transition where like I started in a realm of like professional Scrum. Um, I had really good mentors around. Um, really grounded, um, in scrum. It wasn't kind of that mechanical scrum or like miss a lot of misunderstandings. And at least I started without that, which I think was huge, but I did realize like, how do I, how do I be a servant leader for this team? You know, how do I work between individual humans and like also manage, you know, we're also a team and we have a goal. And then also, you know, there's the organization and just it's, it's complex. And like, if you work in the world and work with people all the time, you know, like conflict happens and disagreement happens and all of those things. And so starting to realize like, I need to grow the skills to help me be able to have more influence and to create the impact that I'm, that I'm aiming to create. And so, so that I guess would be like the bigger moment of like, Ooh, okay. There's, and so then, you know, I, started to kind of look into that. And I started to learn, um, about coaching and realizing like the, I I would say the biggest like level up for me that happened, like kind of after the realization. And there was like a slow burn of like, let me consume this. Let me read this book. Let me, you know, let me talk to the, I had great mentors, which is also super helpful. Um, there was uh, a realization of like, you know what, coaching is, is, is an entire profession. And I am, you know, being given the title of a coach because at this point, like I was, I was a scrum master and I was having this title of agile coach. And I was kind of like, how can can I call myself a coach? (laughs) Um, mm, What's the difference? Except except the hour, right? That's good. Um, honestly, like, I think that is the difference when it comes down to it, like right. in the way it shows up in the world, right? Like, I'm not saying that's the right way, but like, I think man, that might be the difference. Um, but I do think there is a difference in terms of like, for one, I would consider a scrum master an agile coach, right? Thank they you. need to know more than just scrum. It's not like they're only focusing on scrum, right? And agility is about, you know, the principles and the values. It's not only techniques and it's, you know, it's not meant to be like, I know these tactics, like, therefore I'm agile and therefore you're agile because I taught them to you. It doesn't work that way. Um, And scrum masters need coaching skills. 
Um, and they're also working not just with the team, they are working with the organization. And I think that's another misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Um, and so like a lot of times though, I think there is a really good intention around calling somebody an agile coach uh, who they aren't just a scrum master. I think a lot of like, but it, so I'll give you my experience on this is I come from the scrum master place, right? Like that's like my come from place, but I am not the scrum master of a scrum team. Maybe I am coaching scrum masters. Maybe I'm coaching an entire scrum team, which includes a scrum master. Maybe I am taking more of a focus on the organizational things versus working directly with a scrum team and being the scrum master of a scrum team. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Yeah. And the other piece of this is, you know, you might not also be working in the realm of scrum and be an agile coach. Like you might utilize that like agile coach, um, terminology, but maybe you're more of a technical coach and you, but you also have coaching skills, you know, that where you're like helping people actually, um, you know, connect to like what's important and like define their own way forward. And you're there to support them, but you're also bringing in certain expertise you have, you know, that's maybe helping an organization move through some major technology change. And that's going to be in the interest of supporting other teams. Yeah. Makes sense. So does that, does that help? It That's does. how I look at it. Yeah. But there is no one, I think what you pointed to is really important that the scrum master role is defined in terms of a clear accountability. Scrum guide is a single source of truth on what the, the scrum master's accountability is. Um, Agile coach, there isn't one. And I don't know that there needs to be one or that there could be one. Um, but I do think there's a big, like that whole idea of like, I want to be an agile coach because then I make more money. Um, it might be, I think it's out there based on what I've seen. And also organizations, you know, kind of are very title driven sometimes. And, you know, that helps them put people in boxes and makes things easier. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that too. So I don't really have a problem with the, like the, you know, I call myself an agile coach because it's like, I am not just a scrum master anymore. And, you know, in fact, I am not currently a scrum master of a single scrum team right now, right? Like I work more in a coaching position where I work with scrum teams. I work with scrum masters to help them develop their leadership skills, right? So that they can show up for their teams and their organization. So it's like, you know, it, but in my heart, I'm a scrum master. Like my come from place is scrum master. Yeah. So being a scrum master does imply that, the organization that you work with has the Scrum framework incorporated, whereas being an agile coach doesn't necessarily mean that you work with Scrum itself. Does that make yeah, sense to you? I would say that's true. Yeah. All right. Now, yeah, and and I hope that Scrum masters are also like growing their tool belt of practices, right? Because it's not just Scrum. Scrum's just a framework. And which part of the coaching, like which coaching framework, was most powerful to you? Because mm. I know you're a co-active coach. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, when I say I'm a coactive coach, um, I, I do like to kind of clarify, like I did not go through like their certification process. Um, and that's mainly because, and then if it's helpful, I can, I can, I can clarify more on this, but it's like, I didn't need that. And I didn't want that. And it would have been going through the motions to earn a title, a certification. Right. Um, not that I won't ever do it one day. Uh, but for me where I am now, 
it didn't make sense. And, uh, but I did go through their entire five course, um, training program. And it was, and that was the thing, right? Like we kind of, to circle back to that story where I was like, I need, like, if I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to be out in the world, like working with teams, um, you know, and, and kind of, but also even as a scrum master, I was realizing like, I'm supposed to have coaching skills, but like, all I've done is read some stuff about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like not professional training specifically around coaching. And so, um, that was kind of the impetus for me to go to say, I am doing this. And I did my research. Um, I did my research and I talked to some people I knew in the community, uh, like I would say like in the greater like scrum and agility community, um, that I was really like, I looked up to and kind of liked how they showed up and, and their, their, their way of moving about the, the world. Um, and, and kind of got some insights from people around what programs did they go through and like, what was different about it? What did they like about it? And so then I landed on, um, going through coactive, uh, training Institute and the coactive coaching model. So, um, that is, that very much informs, you know, every, you know, in the skills I learned through them. And, and again, it's like, what I learned was like all about in the moment practice, right. It wasn't about like, let me read this book. There is a book, I think. Um, but it was like really about that guided practice where like, you're going to mess it up and somebody's going to help you understand like what about the thing you just did isn't helpful or like where you're kind of like where you had opportunity and you needed to kind of grow, you need to grow your awareness around like, I can do this and I have these options available. So, or like some of it is around like breaking through your own fear of, you know, like failing, um, you know, so that program was amazing. It's uh, it, it was like five classes and it was, I really appreciated how it was done because they were spaced out. They were three day classes. So they're intensive, but they were spaced out. You didn't have to do it this way, but this was kind of like, if you wanted to stay with your cohort, it was like every three weeks ish, I think. And so you had this like time to integrate your learning. And so what I really did during that time, um, that was actually, I, I quit my full-time job. Like I quit, um, that because I was like, I like, I want to go down this path. And like, if I'm full-time billable at a client, like I'm not really going to be able to invest as much in this learning and exploring, you know, like, what does this mean to me and how do I integrate it? And that's just kind of my style. I know everyone isn't like that. So during that, that five months, like I was really like integrating these concepts and like trying to interpret like or trying to like figure out like, what, what does this look like? And how does this relate to agility and scrum? And scrum master role and like me being an entrepreneur and going out in the world to try to like build the type of, um, agility enablement that I, that I wanted to be capable of doing. And so, uh, the other piece of that is what I also love about Coactive is even though I like chose not to go through like this very intensive six month training, uh, or certification program, because it was very one-on-one coaching focused. And I knew that wasn't like, I wasn't trying to become a one-on-one coach as my business. Um, but I was like, I know I need these skills and, and how do these skills also help me, you know, beyond just like a one-on-one conversation. And so like, that was really the the process I was going through of like practicing and figuring that out. And, um, they offered like a lot of like, you know, Hey, who in the community wants to join 
you know, an opportunity to practice coaching, you know, and you get on, um, you know, you'd get on a call and go put, be put into triads and get an opportunity to practice. And so it was like, that was really like helpful to go even beyond the, the five course program. Um, and so that was kind of the big thing for me. And I was like, wow, man, like, but this is professional coaching and they're not talking about the agility context or scrum. And the thing I'm really good at is like integrating things and finding alignment and trying to help people like relate to, um, like kind of pull in something that like, and then helping them relate to like, how would this show up in our world? Like, what are the opportunities here? Um, and so not that I ran off into that right away. Like I still needed to integrate and I still needed to figure it out for myself. But what that eventually led to was, you know, not everybody wants to, or even needs to invest in like super intensive professional coaching training, right? Cause that's like an industry of professional coaching. Do I want some of those skills? Like, do I want to understand this in a more clear way and have more guidance and how to leverage these skills? Yeah. And so First of all, if you are down for it, please, please, please go, go get professional coaching training. And I can't recommend, um, coactive highly enough. Uh, I know there's other ones out there. I'm clearly biased. I only did one, but it was magical. And I still, um, am very much connected to that community. Um, but so do that if that's for you, but there's a lot of people out there, a lot of scrum masters or people that maybe they're not scrum masters, but they do really connect to that servant leadership aspect of the scrum master role. And maybe they're in other agile, um, you know, responsibilities, but it's like, what I wanted to do was create something more accessible, um, where it's like, get enough and then actually practice this stuff. And so that's, that kind of was the birth of my self-guided online course, coaching skills for impact, um, where it's like, you do this on your time. I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to kind of break this down, but it's going to have this agile, it's going to have the scrum agility context to it and introducing coaching skills. Um, and so, and of course it's all informed by my experience with coactive, but it is sort of like me putting something out there that I think is helpful for people to be able to integrate, um, and practice. And so, um, it was also like a fun challenge of like, how do I create something that is accessible in terms of, you know, it's not the same level of pricing for, you know, a live course. It is, um, minimal, but sufficient. Um, you know, you could be anywhere and watch, you know, like, so the online idea was like, clearly the way to go, but it's like, how do you make that learning tangible? You know, like, how do you help people actually practice it? And so, you know, that's why I didn't do it like right away. It was like a thing I needed to like learn and figure out and and write about and, you know, like get feedback on. Um, But so that was, and then, so when I do that type of work, that is when I go deeper in my understanding of the concepts too. And so like, even just that journey helps me gain more self-awareness, right? Um, And like a deeper understanding of these concepts. Um, But yeah, I could talk about that forever. Um, And there, but there's more too. Like there's other really helpful sources around, you know, that have been meaningful for me in terms of understanding myself and others better. I love Brene Brown's work. Um, You know, that, oh, like I could, I've reread her books many, many times and I still, 
I, I write about them sometimes in my blogs or I reference them. Um, but that's, there's lots of stuff out there, you know, it's like, but find something that resonates for you. Um, and don't feel like you're like, oh, I have to be perfect right away. Or, Oh, I have to like do this whole big commitment. It's like, no, like iterative and incremental is perfectly fine. As long as you're actually integrating the learning. I like what you say there, like the expectation that we need to be perfect from the beginning on. Because that seems to be the the notion that organizations have. Like we're going to start with self-management, self-organization and uh, autonomous teams. Mm-hmm. It's going to be perfect and great from the beginning. <laughs> While I see in practice that organizations skip out on a conversation about what they feel self-management is. And therefore they're right. all running around like a headless chicken. They're not facing mm-hmm. in the same direction. Do you feel that it would be beneficial for organizations to at least have the leadership team and not saying management specifically, the leadership team that is guiding this agile transformation, if you will, to have at least such a similar experience where you have to be very much self-aware in order to provoke self-management in an organization. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. There's so many, so, so many great things about that. Like, first of all, I hope, the leaders. And when I say, you know, like saying like high level leaders who are like, are making kind of like the guiding the organization, I hope that they're self-aware. Like I, I hope that this is something they thought was important as a leader anyways, you know, like in terms of emotional intelligence and like understanding like people and teams and how well they work together. And they probably have already done some of that. Like I would imagine anybody at that, at that level has, Um, And it's a question of, did it get put in a context for them to understand the impact that's going to have on trying to move to a more agile way of working, right? Trying to implement like scrum in an organization and, and gain the benefits of it. So I think that where I have seen like a lot of like people who I'm like, you're a great leader. Like, I know you are like, I, I, I see it, I hear it, but that doesn't mean they know how to approach it in the context of agility and enabling scrum teams to be successful. So yes, absolutely. You know, I think leaders that have, if you haven't already gone through kind of, you know, a professional level of in-depth experiential training um, to understand agility um, and the impacts, especially if you're implementing scrum itself, like the impacts, um, you know, that the environment, right. Has on scrum teams, right. Like I look at, any level of management, whether it's, you know, frontline management, kind of working, you know, managing directly of the people on scrum teams, you know, any level of management all the way up to the executive level, um, you know, a part of their job, you know, it may be a different split depending on other responsibilities they have. Like a part of their job is to create the environment for teams to be successful. And in our conversation, as we're talking about this, right, like how do we enable self-managing teams? Like, what does that mean? Um, and I love that you said, like, if we don't have a conversation about it, we're not all on the same page about what it means. And I, I think the other important piece is there isn't one answer to that question, right? Like when you get into, like, I can give you one answer to that question, but it's still, you're, it's not a plan. It's not going to tell you like, do these one, two, three, four, five steps, and you're going to guarantee success. It just doesn't work that way where it's complex. Um, and so, yeah, like, absolutely. Um, and, and it was one of the reasons I was really happy that 
scrum.org went down the path of creating the PAL-E, the Professional Agile Leadership Essentials course. Um, when I have taught that, uh, you know, like amazing conversations happen. And that that's the entire point of training. It's like, how do we have these conversations? And I love working with, with leadership teams um, because they really do have a lot of power to, one, actually give their teams the skills and knowledge they need and the support they need to be successful, right? Um, and they also have the ability to enact change in the environment around those teams to help them be more successful. So, you know, you want your leadership team moving in the same direction too, is I guess the short way, the short way to put that. Yeah. What I really like about your work is that you've written this book with Simon Reynald together, Mastering Professional Mm -hmm. Scrum. Um, In there is the depiction of a stool. Let's look at the anatomy of self-organization and talk us through it. Yeah. So self-organization, self-management, to me, like this is still applying now that the Scrum Guide word has changed to self-management because this is the intention, right? And this is what I meant by like the intentionality of it, not changing because the word changed. I would say it's more, let's be more clear and try to help people not think it's different than it is. Um, But yeah, so the stool is this idea that like there's three legs of the stool, And without one of these things, um, or like without one of these things being um, addressed and nourished, right, and like continually cared for, the stool is going to get wobbly. And so the three things are, um, in order for teams to effectively self-manage, we need to have shared goals, right? We need to all be moving in the same direction. We need to have clear accountabilities, right? So we need to actually understand like who is accountable for what, and we need to have some boundaries, right? And so the thing I've always talked about is like this idea of the boundaries are the thing that sort of like helps us move in this place and be able to make choices and make decisions and be creative and be innovative. Um, and, you know, try new things that even, you know, I might not be an expert, but I can try that. And like, let's see how this goes. Right. It gives us the boundaries to do all of that safely. And what I mean by safe, and I'm going to put this in, um, kind of like almost like, uh, value terms so that, you know, like organizational understanding terms, you know, this idea of a sprint, the sprint itself is a boundary, right? It says we're going to trust the scrum team to do their work right? And in a sprint and self-manage and the, they do have a goal, right? And and there's many levels of this. This is just one example, like the very fundamental basic example, right? You have the context of a sprint. That means a time box, right? That's your boundary. And so let's say, you know, we know it has to be less than a month, right? So let's say a team does a one month sprint. That's their bet. That's a boundary. And their shared goal is to create a useful, valuable increment right? We have other goals, like a sprint goal that kind of helps hone and guide a little bit more too. And then the clear accountabilities. So we do have now, this is one of the scrum guide, scrum guide updates um, that I think is actually super helpful in removing misunderstandings and anti-patterns. The whole scrum team is accountable for creating that useful, valuable increment, right? However, you still have three distinct accountabilities, right? Product owner maximizing value, the developers creating any aspect of that increment with quality, right? Adhering to a definition of done and um, the scrum master, right? Accountable for 
the overall effectiveness of the scrum team and ensuring people understand um, and are supported and effectively leveraging scrum. So that's kind of like the high level basics of, you know, what we have with the stool. Um, and so there's, but there's this idea of like, we have to constantly be seeking, like, where are we maybe needing more work in terms of understanding our shared goals? Where are we maybe needing more work in boundaries, right? Cause we need more than just the sprint, <laughs> you know? And, and there's a little overlap here. Like, so just to give an example, like you could consider a definite, an organizational level definition of done you could consider that a boundary, right? Like that is put on the scrum team as in like every product in our organization, right? Like has to meet this baseline definition of done, right? You could call that a boundary. Um, and then the scrum team still decides how are they going um, to do that? And so that's another example of commonly where I see a boundary show up, but boundaries could be other things as well. Boundaries could be some of the working agreements that a scrum team puts together, right? So they may end up having some boundaries around how they're going to work together that give them even more clarity. And so with boundaries, like that's one where I always kind of say, um, are you like, you're always kind of asking the question of like, is this boundary too limiting? Right? Because that you know, like it, this is like the Goldilocks thing. It's like, you're going for like, just right. And just right is always going to move. It's always going to change based on the fact that everything changes, right? Like, you know, the work we're doing is going to change. The context of the work we're doing is going to change. We are going to change as individuals, as a team, you know, the need of the business might change, right? All of those things change. So it's like, are boundaries too restrictive? Or are boundaries too loose, right? And because with the boundaries that gives us a level of risk, Right. So the risk of that first boundary of the sprint is we are investing and, and trusting this team to create a done increment and alignment with the sprint goal within uh, the time box of the sprint. And so to some degree, that limits our risk of investment. Right. We're not just going to keep working and working and working and working forever. Right. Without taking a moment to stop and say, where are we? Did we? Didn't we? What happened? What have we learned? Right. And then that's, of course, where we have our inspect and adapt feedback loops coming into play. So, um, yeah. I really love with everything what you just said. But one of the most powerful things that stood out to me is that you said the boundaries are continuously going to change. It seems to me sometimes that we, as an entire world, incorporating agility, try to strive for this level of Hey, we're now doing business agility. We're doing scrum by the book. Now we're good. Now everything should be solved. Mm -hmm. That's not the case? Question? No, it's not. No. <laughs> I wish scrum were a silver bullet. <laughs> I wish, right? Um, but it's not, right? Um, because we're still dealing with complexity, uncertainty, rapid change, unpredictability. You know, it's... Um, it, but it's a framework that helps us navigate that more effectively. And that means navigation means we have to be inspecting and adapting and we have to have transparency. Right. And I don't mean just like a minimal amount of transparency. Like you, you, like, what are we now aware of? Like, where do we not have transparency? So, so we should always be looking at that. Um, and so like one example, you know, of a boundary changing is, um, you know, so a scrum team, especially, you know, maybe when they're first starting out and they're, and they've maybe been working in a lot of skill silos, and this is very different from the way they worked before, they may 
they may kind of start out kind of saying, mm, you know, like, I feel like we need a one month sprint, like and that let's do the maximum. And it's like, okay, we start there. Um, over time, what they may realize is, okay. Um, the business is like, uh, we need to be able to change more direct, uh, direction more frequently than every month. Like the nature of our business, right. And like the amount of change we experience in our business, like we can't go a month without change, changing the direction or having, you know, releasable product. Right. Although the sprint doesn't limit your ability to release, just have to say that. Um, and so okay. then there's kind of this push pull, right? Like there's this collaborative negotiation of like the scrum team realizing like the business needs this and how do we rise to that occasion? Right. And then hopefully as they have been working together, they are getting better and they're getting more comfortable and figuring out this new way of collaborating. They're figuring out things like how do we break our work down into smaller pieces of value, right? How do we get out of this mode of like only this one or two, you know, one person or two people do this one thing. And then we have bottlenecks or whatever, like we've been flowing our work in a way where we end up with a whole bunch of defects to fix at the end, right? Like those are a lot of the common anti-patterns like you'll or I wouldn't even say it's matters. There are a lot of the common challenges from teams have to move through, not all scrum teams, right. But, but some, and so it's just one example. And so looking at like, you know, like figuring out like how do we, this boundary is too big. We need to shrink it. The funny thing that's like a similar example, but different, or I would say like, like it comes from a different place is I have often seen scrum teams that do a one month boundary, um, a one month sprint. They can't get to done. And it's often, and, and like, let's just say the business isn't really pressuring them to shorten the sprint. It's more like they just aren't getting, you know, a, a useful, valuable increment. And what I typically see and is that it's because they're all, because they have a whole month, it's so hard for them to plan a month. And then they end up pulling too much stuff in and they're not focusing, you know, like on a sprint goal and they're kind of working a lot of times, um, you know, not always, but like what I have seen is it's because they're kind of taking their old way of working and working in that same way. And there isn't enough focus and, um, you know, it's, it's just hard to plan a month of work. You know, that's different for every type of industry, the context of the, of the domain you work in of business and technology, um, but like what I've seen, I, I always, like, I have not seen actually directly work with scrum teams that do a one month sprint. Cause that's a really long time. Um, and I have heard of teams doing it, you know, so I'm not going to say there aren't contexts, um, where that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, like that's just to give you two examples of the sprint boundary and like where, like, as a, I hope as a scrum master, I am noticing like, what am I observing and what is that? you know, what is the conversation we need to have? Right. And I have encouraged teams before, like, especially teams that are like doing a three week sprint, you know, and they're, they're having that same struggle around like actually getting to done. And I can, you know, I'm observing and I'm seeing that like some of those patterns are showing up and it's, how do I create that conversation to drive transparency for this challenge and get, you know, like not just use my own assumptions and observations, but bring everybody into the conversation and then oftentimes what comes up is, so why don't we try a two-week sprint? Right? Would you say then that's, yeah. that's a solid base of advice to start off with? Mm -hmm. Two-week sprint would be initial. Mm, I would never, like, I think ever recommend a sprint length to a, to a scrum team. 
because there is no typical, there's just no typical. Um, it is, I think it needs to be part of that decision that is made as a scrum team. I may, um, offer some insights, but, but it's like, for me, like I am more facilitating that conversation and helping them think through like, what could our, you know, like what might, what might our business need, right? You know, what would be helpful for us in terms of um, what, what, what are all the things we would need to do in order to create a done increment, right? Like having a definition of done is going to come into that conversation. Um, and so, you know, the, I would say there's no way to like just know as a scrum master or like an outside coach or, you know, a trainer, you know, I, it's one of those things that's very specific to the team. And, um, what I just encourage them to consider is, you know, how quickly does your business need to be able to change direction? Um, how much time do you feel you're going to need to create a useful increment of value, right? That is of appropriate quality meeting the definition of done. Um, and then also like, I, I also am a, part of this conversation is encouraging people to kind of re-examine, right? Like how they even think about that, um, in terms of thinking about valuable increment isn't, doesn't need to be like everything that everybody wants. Um, and then also there, there's kind of like a level of, um, like risk tolerance, right. You know, like that kind of comes back to right? What do we want that boundary to be? And again, not, it's not a limiting boundary in terms of releasing, um, but it is kind of a limiting boundary in terms of, you know, it could be funding of like, we are clearly funding the sprint um, and we're, then we're inspecting and adapting. And it's also um, a kind of like a, the, it gives us the focus of the sprint goal, right? So we don't go too far off the rails. I often use the, um, the visual uh, or the image of um, thinking about bumper cars, is that something? Yeah, definitely. Is that universal bumper cars? It, I don't know. I feel at least if I look at these roads over here, definitely bumper cars are universal. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound like you have the right boundaries in place if you're thinking about the roads. Um, but like if like with bumper cars, it's like you have a rink, right? Like we put small. Like I don't know if they do this around the world. We put small children in motorized vehicles and say go nuts. Well, why do we do that? It's because there's a boundary right? Like their car itself has some sort of protection around it. The car speed is limited. It's locked down. So it can't go at a, at a, at a speed that would likely danger endanger somebody if they were to run into something or each other. And then you have the rink itself, right? Like we don't want the cars to like accidentally jump out onto the road. Um, you know, so, and that is, that's kind of like the, the metaphor imagery I use um, to kind of talk about the boundaries as well. Um, but yeah, is that, is that example helpful around where it's like, you're always kind of looking at where are we, what, you know, what, uh, where do we need more boundaries, right? Like we need a little bit more to guide us, um, and kind of keep us within the, you know, within the ring of that bumper car ring, um, where are they too restrictive? And that, that tends to show up as in it's limiting, um, innovation and creativity and, or like actual feeling of autonomy sometimes comes up, right? Like the actual self-management <laughs> can be limited when the, um, when the boundaries are too restrictive. Stephanie, I think you've given us a wonderful inspiration to have this discussion of what do we feel self-management, self-organization means and how we can start off with. Um, last question that I want to ask you is how can people engage with you and your work? Well, um, 
my website is the first place to start. So agilesocks.com. Um, and socks, I do right? teach... the thing that you put on your foot. What was that? Socks. Yes. The thing you put on your foot. Cause the word it's a little tricky with pronunciation. I try to be very clear. Agilesocks.com, like what you put on your feet. And, um, yeah, so check out my website. I have a newsletter that I'm not going to promise you that it will be in your inbox every month, but I do tend to do like monthly ish. Um, but it's where like I get to kind of create and I get to like talk about some of these things that are on my mind in the realm of like scrum, agility, leadership, life, right? Like I like to integrate these concepts um, to make them more useful and more relatable. Um, so sign up for my newsletter and that'll kind of give you anything you need to know. Um, and you can also check out, um, I know I mentioned the coaching skills for impact self-guided online course. Um, so part of my journey is, has been um, making, creating more learning opportunities um, that are helpful to go beyond just learning scrum. Right. And so they are, they tend to be geared more towards scrum masters or really anybody who kind of considers themselves a servant leader um, in the context of, you know, an, an agile environment. And so um, I have coaching skills for impact um, and then also scrum master grow, which is actually very much about self-awareness. So it's like a, it's like the stepping stones towards like kind of that bigger, deeper work. Um, and it's a really good grounding um, place uh, to, to, to get as a scrum master. And then my newest thing um, is I'm just wrapping up uh, the first cohort of Scrum Master Evolution. And so this is a pretty in-depth, I would say it's in-depth in terms of like, we do deep work, um, but it's not in-depth as in like, so much work to do, so much stuff to do, um, but it is like the deeper level. And so it's for advancing Scrum Masters. Um, you know, it's not about teaching you Scrum in any way. Um, it's not a tools and practices uh, type of thing. It's really about servant leadership and getting um, to that to that deeper level um, understanding. And so people can learn about that on my website as well. Um, I will likely be running the second cohort um, in a few months. And so there will be, um, a, there's a wait list because it's very limited. It's, it's live, um, weekly calls, uh, that we do the work on together. And so, um, I keep the cohorts really small so that we can have like that intimacy and make sure everybody can participate and engage and, you know, have the space, um, to kind of work through these more challenging, uh, types of concepts. So I love that. That sounds really powerful. Stephanie Ackerman, thank you for this really cool discussion. Thank you for having me. I would like to thank our guest and you, the listener, for joining us again in this episode of Mastering Agility. This podcast is part of a series, so make sure to follow us on all the platforms that we provide. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, you name it. Make sure to go to the website of agilitymasters.com to subscribe to the newsletter in order to stay up to date on the latest information. Check out the show notes and how you can engage with our guests and myself to provide feedback, ask questions, um, more general inquiries, whatever. I would love to hear from you. Next week, we have another amazing episode lined up. So make sure to tune in again. Until then. 